Hi, welcome to Lead a Horse to Water. My name is Howard Paley, educator, storyteller. Today's podcast is sponsored by Espy's Candy. Are you looking for a unique idea to celebrate your team or your clients? Look no further than ESPEEZCandy.com where you could find some great rock candy in beautiful colors or maybe even create your own private label. Our podcast is about mentorship, leadership, and what we can learn from each other. Each guest will be asked four questions to name a mentor, what they learned from that mentor, the best advice they've received, and the best advice they've given. Today we have a guest who was brought together with me by our shared love of live music. Whether it's a Broadway show, just saw Hairspray with my mother-in-law recently, or maybe a Taylor Swift concert, no, 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 I did not go, but my adult children did. Or maybe it's attending a Phoenix Downtown Chamber Series event in which the visual arts are paired with live music and we can all put away our devices. Today's guest will tell us about their journey that brought them to the downtownchamberseries.org where you can learn about live music. Let's add that we not only need to be thirsty for knowledge, we also need to be thirsty for live music. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, We'd like to welcome uh, a father, a musician, teacher, community leader, whether you want to hear that title or not, uh, home restorer, and uh, also the developer of the Downtown Chamber series here in Phoenix, which features chamber music in uh, urban art spaces. I'd like to welcome Mark Dix. Mark, how are you today? Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for being here. So I always like to start with just your typical bio question. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you're doing today. Yeah, I was born in the 70s. I'm uh, from Colorado, uh, born and raised there. Uh, my parents were both teachers, uh, art teacher and also elementary preschool. Uh, so I grew up around educators and I grew up in an environment that was, even though it was in the city of Colorado Springs, they were, my parents were very creative um, hardworking people. It's more of a farm type lifestyle where we were each day started with what we had to fix and build. Um, grew up in a city that had a wonderful youth symphony um, and uh, great orchestral culture and lots of concerts to go to. And uh, the visual arts were really strong in my childhood as well. Mm. Uh, I took art classes from age four, as did my brother. My dad, once again, was an art teacher. And so uh, a lot of visual art in the upbringing and then uh, went to uh, followed music violin and then viola uh, played both and then in undergrad Tacoma Washington University of Puget Sound Mm -hmm. and then uh, New York City Manhattan School of Music for grad school and then won a job with the Phoenix Symphony and in Phoenix I arrived here in 95 and uh, was really just impressed with the opportunities that I had here as a musician, that there was no template that I had to follow. And uh, the orchestra was very uh, open-minded with education programs that I wanted to get engaged in and build. And uh, the community of musicians was really vibrant. And uh, the visual arts scene was incredibly inspiring to me in Phoenix. I guess it's because of our beautiful glowing orange light. Uh, Painters love it here. And also downtown Phoenix 
at that time was fairly blighted in terms of lots of low rent and therefore uh, the art community was had a lot of great gallery spaces that they lived and worked in and I was able to buy an old 1919 house that I'm still in and uh, fix it up so the passion of rebuilding restoring old houses uh, the visual arts scene the Phoenix Symphony and then that was all the the fertile ground for starting downtown chamber series in year 2000 uh, a way to have chamber music in art spaces and uh, so we're now in our 23rd 24th year and uh, been with the Phoenix Symphony as well still am and uh, it's been an amazing and continues to be life in Arizona in Phoenix I I love it. And there's a, a few things, if you don't mind, I always like to point out a few things. I love that you started talking about fixing up things around the house or that that was an expectation. And this idea of problem solving. And I think it connects to music. I think it connects to life. I think it connects to so many things. And clearly, that's a part of what I hear from you, Mark, is this idea of problem solving, always looking for the solution. And some of that is also in the relationship world. Uh, mm. <laughs> my wife and I uh, both are divorced. We both had, we were from previous marriages, uh, divorced, and each of us had kids. I had two kids from a previous marriage. My wife had three kids from a previous marriage. Mm -hmm. So we are now in a blended household of seven. And uh, it's, <laughs> Truly uh, the Brady Bunch. Yeah, it's bunch, exactly. <laughs> kids range in age from 13 to 21. Mm -hmm. uh, so 14 to 21. So we've got um, a lot on our hands. A lot of energy. Yes, a lot, we do. A, a, lot of, a lot of energy. A lot of... Uh, Need for problem solving, yes. Absolutely, I like that. Uh, I have a sneak another question in. Do you still do any art? Do you, do you have a medium that you work with or is it is it houses, is it I, wood and, and that kind of thing? Uh, two things, I, I love to draw still and uh, when time uh, permits, particularly when traveling, I, I try to have a sketch pad and, and then I can fill that in with uh, watercolor mm -hmm, if, mm -hmm. uh, time avails. Uh, but yes, I think most of it is more the Frank Lloyd Wright approach which is Art and creation is, is our, our world around us, our living environment, how we frame a wall, where we put a window, how we build a, a garden, uh, where we plant a tree, mm -hmm. where the light comes in, uh, what colors we have on the walls. So that sort of environmental art is very part of daily life. And negative space, you know, has become such a part of my life, is recognizing that part of art is, is and, and so that's a piece in music also, the, the, the quiet. I also want to point out, when Mark talked about his work with the Phoenix Symphony, he used the phrase, I want a job. And I think that's an important component that we have to think about whenever we interview. That you are, that that's a part of it, is that you have to earn these things. And so I, I remind everybody as we go out and we mentor others, we talk about the interview or the performance or the, the audition, and, uh, and you have to win those things. So I really like that. And I want to share with our listeners, we are sitting in, uh, I'll call it the sitting room, maybe living room, maybe, of, uh, of this home. And it's a great vibe, Mark. So thank you for ha allowing us to be here. Okay, with that, we're going to get into our four questions. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, our first question is, tell us about one of your mentors or someone outside of your parents who was uh, a mentor in your life. Uh, and what was that, what was that relationship? Coming from a, a music background where you're trying to do a very difficult task of playing uh, the violin and the viola um, requires a lot of mentorship by definition from a year early age. Um, 
these instruments, for me anyway, it was not an instrument I could learn self-taught. So always had teachers, uh, one of them early on, and so several mentors to, to mention. One would be Natalie Irera, uh, second violinist in the uh, Colorado Springs Symphony, and uh, she was my teacher, and her, I would call it uh, grim pragmatism. <laughs> <laughs> she was definitely not a sunshine pumper, uh, and uh, I think probably high praise from her would come in the phrase, okay, good, moving on. So uh, <laughs> I benefited from that. Just there's a lot of, um, what's the term for someone who's getting a trophy or participation trophies? Yeah, yeah. Right, but that was not her, her mode, uh, particularly not at that era of the 1970s and 80s. So, uh, but I, I was very motivated by her clarity of criticism and I also felt very supported by her. So teaching me that, and also as a parent, I, we don't need to uh, bury people under praise in order for them to excel and feel valued and loved and supported. Uh, another mentor, then a Joyce Vermey, a viola teacher in, um, at University of Puget Sound, really helped with the audition track and focusing not, not just on repertoire, but also on the, the nuts and bolts of taking auditions, Cynthia Phelps at Manhattan School of Music, the principal violist of the New York Philharmonic. Um, she really recognized that I was from a different background than a lot of conservatory kids. I didn't grow up in Paris or Tokyo or Moscow or New York City. I grew up in a fairly small town in Colorado, um, had a lot of dirt under my fingernails. <laughs> and, uh, and she really recognized that musicians come from different backgrounds, but my work ethic and uh, the way I absorbed her training uh, impressed her, and then I got a lot of support from her in my audition track. Um, and so, and another mentor would be um, Ralph Coleman, who is now in his 80s. Uh, he's in Phoenix, and I met him through the building trades just when I needed help. Uh, you know, learning. I, I dug a basement underneath my 100-year-old house. <laughs> I needed to hire a a mason to help with some of that process who I could work along with and he I would call him you know my my Yoda uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> just an incredibly wise soul uh, who came from a background where he didn't have the benefit of a lot of education um, but his uh, intellect of problem-solving is like no one I've experienced and uh, how we could have come into a very difficult situation and just figure it out. And the mm -hmm. confidence to do that is, is uh, something he's helped me with tremendously in all, all things construction. And that also bleeds into the rest of life. Right. And, and whenever you talk about the, that problem solving, you have to talk about risk taking. Because uh, if you don't know the answer, then in somewhere in there, there's a bit of a risk, a calculated risk. Yeah, digging a, <clears throat> digging a, a basement underneath a house that you're living in with two young children is definitely a risk. <laughs> right, right. Yes, so, yes, yes. Yeah. And especially when you're married. Right, so. right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and I want to also bring up, and I'm, I, if I mispronounce your name, I apologize, Natalie Irera. Correct. And uh, you use the phrase grim pragmatism. And I love that, but I also think other people call that high expectations. 
And so it depends on that perception. And I love that. And then you also brought up something. So I want to bring up one of our cliches on the show is you can't be a mentor without a little bit of tormentor in there. And, uh, and I heard that in your work with these people as well. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. The, the pain of growth, if you will. Uh, so tell us, what's something you learned from them that's, uh, and, and I know you've alluded to it already, but uh, anything else that you continue to carry in your professional or personal life? Uh, not so much specifics. I think it's hard for me to really pull out specific advice that I was given that I, quote, live by. Uh, the epithets you see when you're at the dentist office that are on the, <laughs> on the posters, on the ceiling, or on the wall. Right. Um, a motivational speaker type stuff. Um, those things don't really come to mind. I think it's uh, just their inspiring level of discipline and that really feeling like I was met halfway with the discipline that I bring to the table in life. Um, and a recognizing our fullest potential through people, through other people. Uh, I'm sure in isolation we can learn a lot from the web and there, of course, people are on the web uh, creating content, as we are today. Um, but really, it's the, the human connections between these individuals uh, in figuring out how to live this short life. So I wish I could be more specific about what it was. Um, I think I had a, one uh, mentor, Howard Beebe. It was a short period of time just to, during a music festival when I was 18 years old. Uh, the American Federation of Musicians had a Congress of Strings event that brought in two string players from every state in the United States. So uh, there was a hundred of us for a summer and uh, it was really groundbreaking for me as a kid from Colorado to see players from every state in the country playing at a high level. And I was, as you could imagine, because I'm not, wasn't from LA or uh, Chicago, um, I was behind in level relative uh, to other players there. Uh, so it was definitely a, a much bigger, deeper pool for me to be swimming in. And uh, I remember asking my teacher or telling him, I really want to do this. Just, I've just performed my first Mahler symphony. I, I want to take a shot at this. And I said, do you think I have a chance? And there was a bit of silence <laughs> from him because I think he recognized that I was behind other 18-year-olds competitively. But he said, you know, Mark, that's up to you. Uh, you're clearly highly disciplined. And if your passion for this art form is deep, you, you will fly within it uh, and you will find a way. And so that would be probably as specific as I could get. From I that. love it. I love it. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push a little bit because that's my job as the, the guy on this side of the, the chair. Um, you kind of allude to this throughout some of those conversations about modeling and what they showed you or how they, how they maybe crafted you, if you will, and, and shaped you. Do you think, what would you say about that and the modeling that they showed in their hard work and their, their commitment to the craft? Yeah, in music, it's uh, such an old-fashioned process of mentorship where we are, the, the mentorship is not written down. Music teachers typically, for performance, don't have a curriculum in front of them um, as in other disciplines. Uh, so... It really has to do with watching how the body is responding to the challenge and what barriers are in front of us in our technique. How we're using our body, how we're uh, developing a phrase, how we're uh, uh, removing the constraints 
that our body and our mind put on expression. Mm. And we, we all run into that in our life as writers, as parents, as <laughs> musicians, right. as homeowners. So how do you remove the barriers to really get the job done within uh, the confines of what you're working with? So that, that's probably the, the direction of, of inspiration. Mm -hmm. and, 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 I, and what I also hear there is that, that to be a great musician, you have to be vulnerable. Tremendously. And I, to be a great leader. Humble. I humble. would say Ooh, I, I like that. I like humble that. is probably the biggest word, and I think that's a beautiful thing about the, the orchestral music and chamber music, is that for the most part, we wear black for anonymity. Um, our names are not on the stage bill. We're coming to hear a piece of music with a group of professionals, and our instruments are highlighted in front of us over our black clothing, so the focus is on the instrument, not on our... Mm -hmm. fashion sense and uh, that we are creating a sound that's all one sound mm -hmm. collaboratively with humility mm -hmm. in the absence of humility then we can't play as one and so we spend our whole careers figuring out how to balance each other's sound how to play in tune with each other how to play at a tempo and with a phrasing that we all agree upon we of course need a fairly militaristic system <laughs> to follow leaders such as conductors and principals and so forth but it's still within a collaborative environment. A couple thoughts is number one, in math, we know that circles are made of straight lines. And so I think of that whenever I listen to music that you have all these individual components, these straight lines, but then when you put them all together, you create this circle. And it's kind of a different way of thinking of music. I know that's something that just came to me. Uh, and also, I love what you talked about with music and how mentorship works with music. And I think one of the ideas behind this podcast is that we create a conduit almost like a dating app for mentorship you know that people can go and say hey I listened to Mark and that resonated with me I want to learn more with him and so uh, I think I really love that idea that we need to find a better way to mentor a better way to find our mentors uh, okay we moved to really which is question uh, really our our final question which is what's the best advice you have ever given someone else I think, uh, in my experience, a lot of very driven people that are problem solvers, uh, highly disciplined folks that are uh, marching through life, with they often have a lot of criticism of the world around them and what can be done better, whether it's our climate crisis, whether it's politics, um, our the nonprofit organizations we work in, or how to, and our own performances, how we play better, um, our personal life, our marriages, parenting, all of it. And so we, we need that level of criticism in the world around us in order to look for solutions. If we were just, if we thought everything was fantastic, then I guess we would just sit on the couch and take a nap. But <laughs> so for folks that are, that have that drive for things to be better, um, we need these people in our world. Uh, and I hope that I'm one of those people. And most of the people that I surround myself with are those people uh, in all walks of life. The challenge is that this group of people often, the criticism that, that they have about the rest of the world and what they want to do better is often a criticism they level at themselves mm -hmm. internally which can be quite destructive right. when we are looking back and with regret 
right. um, or with other negative emotions towards decisions we've made. Um, and so I guess the best advice that I could give at this point, and I gave it to a friend even just this week, was to be kind to ourselves. And that we really need to have, uh, to be, maintain a focus that we're able to look backwards at our life uh, for wisdom so that we can recognize patterns. Patterns that we could maybe say, oh, I seem to have a proclivity to do things this certain way and maybe I could move the needle by uh, compensating that and have the gratitude for where we are right now and all the work that we've done, all the decisions we've made that has brought us to where we are and then be able to look forward to unleash the potential of our, of our fullest self and our community and that that process is done with, a, with mentorship of all the people in our life you know, my wife, uh, my, my colleagues, my community, everyone that I'm connected to. Mm -hmm. So to be kind to ourselves is the short answer to that. It is something that can get lost in our pursuit of problem solving. <laughs> right, so. right. And, and, you know, I wrote down something as you were talking uh, when we said, how can we, what can we do better? What can be done better? And I wrote down, you know, love me enough to help me improve. And then when you turn that to be kind to ourselves, and I thought, wow, that fits. Love myself enough to help me improve. Right. And, and that means the reinforcement, the celebrations, not just the, the criticisms and the, the things that, that fall on that end of, of uh, improvement. It can be hard in an intense environment, work environment, in any discipline, when you've got someone who is, when you're working with people that are incredibly critical, mm -hmm. um, somewhat destructively so mm -hmm. I think I've been able to maintain a level of empathy for those individuals and with the assumption or the knowledge that likely those individuals are leveling that criticism even harder at themselves in their darkest hours mm -hmm. and that um, that they are quite tormented souls mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then that actually helps me have some empathy for the challenge of working with them it's funny you use that word, the word I just wrote down is empathy and balance, is that you're seeking that same balance of, of, yeah. of being constructively critical of your work, but also yeah. uh, recognizing the things you do well. Uh, you know, we finish with two questions. The first one is always, do you have a worst advice that you've ever gotten or given that you'd like to share with us? I think uh, in the personal realm with close friends, when they come into uh, marital challenges, <laughs> And, uh, you know, you uh, drink beers with a friend who's, who's really struggling uh, mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. the situation. And then the impetus of, that I've had at times has been, oh, you need to get out of this or you've got to do X, Y, Z. And, you know, those are just, that's advice that often can turn on itself <laughs> when um, <laughs> the relationship ends up not ceasing and then you've got, I mean, I was even asked to be best man at a wedding and, uh, and my buddy was, uh, a month out from, uh, from the altar <laughs> and uh, things were really looking really rough. Right. And I had told him, you got to get out of this. And then he ended up having the wedding and I had to stand next to, you know, in that situation, it was, it was uncomfortable knowing that I had advised him to right. not get married. Right. So I guess my wisdom for myself would be, in, in matters of the heart, um, 
I, I think I would navigate that advice uh, more cautiously. <laughs> and by the way, that marriage of my friend did end up not lasting. Uh, but that's, it's not an I told you so. It's no, no, just no, no, a, no. Just a, fun- just a function of uh, these uh, matters of the heart. You need to, more than anything, listen. Is the best advice we can give to people is to be there, to devote time to these people in your life, uh, to show up and listen. But as far as the uh, epithets that come out of our mouth, <laughs> I, uh, I can't give it too much stock. No. So. And if, it's, <laughs> if I'm laughing or any of you out there are laughing, it's because you said the same thing to somebody and felt the same thing Mark had felt. Yeah, like I'm yeah. standing up here thinking, oh my gosh. Like, I really stepped in at this time. <laughs> but also knowing it ain't going to last because the person I'm thinking of, less than a year. So uh, I'm just <laughs> going with that. Uh, uh, Mark, thanks so much for uh, being with us today. I really appreciate it. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share? And one question I would really like you to answer is how can people access information about the Downtown Chamber Series? I guess the thing to share is that we are entering uh, or are firmly now in the digital realm of with humanity. And uh, we're struggling to figure out how is this really going to affect how humans interact, and particularly when you're talking about something like Downtown Chamber Series, this magical place where you can go into a room filled with visual art, people are not looking at their digital devices, and they're engaging in a live performance. Uh, and with, with visual art, where they're not standing in front of it for two seconds, taking a photo, and then moving on to the next one and posting on Instagram, but they're actually sitting with that art for an hour and a half. Um, that's a special thing. And it creates a special energy, vibe, whatever the term is, that I think is really valuable in our crazy, busy, stressful world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess the challenge is, how do we get people to actually put down their phones and get on their bicycle or in their car and go to hear live music mm-hmm. and to go engage with people in the old-fashioned way? I think that's the challenge we're all kind of up against. We're definitely, as parents, struggling with this. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we get our kids to, when they've got the whole universe in the palm of their hand, at a level that I couldn't even imagined when I was 15, and how do you get them to actually put that device down and go outside? Uh, so I think that's what the performing arts and what the arts and culture in general are really uh, up against. And uh, we're, we're doing all right with it. And I would just encourage all of you to... Um, Really embrace the people around you and get out there and uh, see how much communication can transpire in the absence of an app. <laughs> right, right. And so, also I'll say in the absence of, of words, what music can communicate and how it can change your yeah. emotion and what it can drive you. Everybody that's been to a live concert knows that feeling when they walk out. Experience it. Go find it. Go look for it. Yeah. So yeah, you can reach us at uh, downtownchamberseries.org and uh, we've got concerts about every two months Mm -hmm. uh, throughout the year, uh, but it changes that schedule and uh, we're similar to the chalkboard in a restaurant. We don't have it all planned out in advance. It kind of depends on what what vegetables are in season, what what we're cooking. Exactly. And uh, we've had over 200 musicians and dozens of different art spaces over over 23 years Mm -hmm. and... uh, we're uh, keeping up the fight. We're now a 501c3. We would love to have any uh, financial support as well to keep doing what we're doing. Thank you so much. And you know what? We'll keep pushing out information on the website and other ways so that you can learn more about the Downtown Chamber Series. Thank you to Mark Dix today for not only 
being here, but also allowing us a moment in his 1919 uh, home here uh, uh, in Phoenix. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks once again to Mark Dix. What a great vibe today that can only be exceeded by attending a Phoenix Downtown Chamber Series event. Mark really had my adrenaline going as we discussed the importance of live mentorship, being present with each other. This podcast is meant to be that kind of a conduit for mentorship. If you want to connect with any leader on the show, please reach out to me at makethemthirsty at gmail.com. The Howardism for today? Successful problem solvers must be risk takers. Calculated risk takers. Thanks again to Mark Dix, and thank you to our listeners. There would be no show without you, so thank you for showing up to lead a horse to water. I'm Howard Paley, and this has been a Bob Tonawanovitz production.